0: All right, so we are talking about shock today, and what we're going to do is we, there are, you guys tell me, how many types of shock are there? Four. There are four types of shock. Very good. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about every type of shock and take a look at the hemodynamic profile. But before we go into that, so when we do a PA catheter, a pulmonary artery catheter, what we're trying to get at is end diastolic, left ventricular, end diastolic volume. That's what we're trying to get to. The ideal, if you can measure left ventricular, end diastolic volume, so that is, so what's the stroke volume? So if I could measure left ventricular, end diastolic volume, what's the stroke volume then? How would I find that out? If I knew what LVEDV was, how would I find what? How would I find the stroke volume? You'd also need uh, end systolic volume, and you could measure the difference. Close, close. You'll need the ejection fraction, ah. right? Because the ejection fraction is fifty percent. That means the the LV pumps out fifty percent of the left ventricular end diastolic volume. So if you can get the LVEDV multiplied by the stroke by the ejection fraction, that's your stroke volume. We can't measure LVEDV easily, if at all. So what Kira is writing is that what we what we estimate LVEDV by is LVEDP, left ventricular end diastolic pressure. That's very difficult to get on a regular patient. You have to go to the cath lab. So what we do is then we measure we estimate left ventricular end diastolic pressure by the capillary the pulmonary artery capillary wedge pressure which is estimated by the pulmonary by the pulmonary vein pressure which is estimated by left atrial pressure which is estimated by CVP so I say that because when we measure a CVP, that is a humongous fudge over hemodynamics. So it helps, gives you an idea, okay, if somebody's CVP is minus one and they're hypotensive, they're likely intravascular line depleted. But know that when we go, when we're making all these, we're, we're making all these inferences, we're making them based on estimates. And we're assuming that they're all one column of fluid from the left atrium, from actually the right atrium, all the way to the left ventricle. We're assuming it's one column of blood. And that assumption, many times, is not actually accurate. Okay? So just to understand, when we, when we say all these things, these are all estimates. And you have to be, be aware of that. Okay? So, okay, so, you, so that said, we have four types of shock, right? Now, when we measure hemodynamics, there's kind of two or three things that. Oh, my God, my series. No, monsieur. No, monsieur. My, my series in French, uh, so I can practice. Um, we want to, when we, when, we, when we go through hemodynamics, we want to measure central venous pressure, remember, because again, it's an estimate of what, what's going on. We want to measure cardiac index. What's cardiac index? Output divided by stroke volume? No. It's cardiac output divided by body surface area. So what cardiac index does is it normalizes for body habitus. A cardiac output of 5 in you will be different than a cardiac output of 5 in you. will be different than a cardiac output of 5 in me. Cardiac output of 5 in him. Cardiac output of 5 in her. So... When you normalize for body surface body surface area, now a cardiac index of two may mean a cardiac output of five in her. Code a oh, it's not ours. It's- okay. No, no problem. Um, so a cardiac output of a cardiac index of two in you may mean a cardiac output of five, but in you it might mean a cardiac output of seven, and me it might mean a cardiac output of seven and a half, so on and so forth. But the cardiac index of two is adequate, right? So that's why we measure cardiac index, and then we have something called systemic vascular resistance, right? Which is remember, I, don't know, I did, I did, I, I did electrical engineering in college, so you know, voltage equals v, v equals I, you know, IR, right? V equals I over R. So same thing. So uh, systemic vascular resistance is your mean arterial pressure minus your C, minus your CVP over cardiac cardiac output, and that tells you how vasoconstricted or vasodilated, your systemic vasculature is, your capillary beds, okay? So those are the main kind of things that we look at for hemodynamics. So you said four types of shock. Name one of them. Or distributive. Distributive. Okay, so distributive shock. So what would be the hallmark? So what would be the CVP in distributive shock? Would it be low? Would it be normal? Or would it be high? So if maybe you can create a a table... Put the shock on one end and then the, then you cvp cardiac yeah. index svr like your check mark yeah yeah so distributive what would what would cvp be in distributive shock so low normal or high it could be high to compensate the low svr mm-hmm or yeah or yes yeah. so cvp is could be low could be normal could be high it's either one, right? So, yeah. It could be either way, all right, in distributive shock. How about cardiac index in distributive shock? What would be cardiac index in distributive shock? It could be high or it could be low, right? So it's, 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 it could be either one. Some pap- some, sometimes you can have up and down. What's the hallmark of distributive shock? So the SVR would be? Super low, exactly. That is the hallmark of distributive shock. Super super low SVR. Okay, that is all the others could be equivalent, eh, but it's SVR. SVR is super 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 low. So that's what you got to know about distributive shock. Now, what are the examples of distributive shock? Septic is one of them. How about another one? Anaphylactic. Anaphylactic. How, about, how about another one? You, you definitely will, will, will see them here. Neurogenic. Neurogenic, right? After a high cervical injury, you get distributive shock, okay? Also, post-op cabbages. Many times they have distributive, they have, um, because of the cardiopulmonary bypass, it causes distributive shock, okay? So, uh, that's distributive shock, okay? Second type of shock. Hypo-volemic. hypovolemic shock. Very good. So, CVP high, low, or normal? Um, That's your question. What do you think it would be? Uh, and hypovolemic shock. Decrease. It'd be low. Yeah, yeah. CVP will be low. How about cardiac index? Uh, low. Low. Mm-hmm. How about S- how about SVR? High. High. Very good. Very high, right? All right, third type of shock. You get one, and then you get the last one. Cardiogenic? Cardiogenic, very good. CVP, high, low, or normal? Low. Could be low, or could be high. Typically it's high. If you have cardiogenic shock, typically it's high. The heart's failing. Yeah. Think about the heart failing. Acute heart failure, right? So CVP will be high. How about SVR? It should go, s should be up. Yep, yep. How about cardiac index? Down, would be, Down. be low. Mm-hmm. Now, the last type. There's, there's, there's one more. Let's see if you, can, if you can know it. So we got distributive, cardiogenic, hypovolemic. What's the last type of shock? Obstructive. Obstructive, I love it. Good job, man. A lot of people like, oh, septic, and they're like, mm, no, no. Sure. Obstructive, okay. CVP, high, high, or normal. And give me examples of structure shock. What would be an example? Um, a clot, uh, like a PE. A PE, very good. What's another example? Um, the pacemaker. That's a clue. Oh, uh, pacemaker. Um, Tampenade. Tampenade. Sure. Okay. Tampenade. Those. Those are the two main types of obstructive shock, okay? So CVP will be high, low, or normal. Think about tamponade, or, think about tamponade. Or, or PE. CVP will be high, low, or normal? Uh, high. High. How about cardiac index? Low. Low, how about SVR? Uh, high. High, very good. So now, look at cardiogenic and obstructive look exactly the same. So how can you tell the difference? Is by history. So you go to a rapid response. He just got a pacemaker, and he's in the structure of shock. You're thinking tamponade as opposed to a my. right? Yeah. Or somebody just came back from a long, uh, from a long haul f- flight from Paris, and collapses and is in shock. PE. You think of PE, right? So history will help you to tell the difference between the between the between the three. Now I didn't mention wedge because. Really? I don't really use a PA catheter anymore. I really don't. Because I have other non-invasive ways that are better. And again, for a pulmonary catheter to be accurate, you have to be in the West Zone one, two, or three. You know, the zones, the lung zones of West. Mm -hmm. Dr. West. Three. Three. Exactly. Where the there's a continuous column of blood from the left atrium through the alveolar, through the alveolus into the left ventricle in, into the from the right ventricle through the alveolus into the left atrium in any other zone there is there's is not a communication so depending on where you are where you are in the lung you're in either a west of zone 2 or a west of zone 1 and there's no continuous column of blood and when you're intubated that's even further thrown off so that's why a pa catheter we don't use it in critical care. We don't use it anymore. Like I can do non-invasive. I can do other things and figure it out. Now we have point of care ultrasound, which you're looking at the heart, okay? And if the heart is hypodynamic, you know you're you're you're, you know you're you're dehydrated, right? Mm-hmm. So, we're 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 critical care are past. Pulmonary catheter. When I was a fellow back in the ancient times with the with the with the dinosaurs. We used to do pulmonary catheters. Not anymore. Yeah, we put on everybody. Everybody got swamped. They were funded they were fun. They were middle of you know, the night, there was a blast to do. But they did study, fifty percent of cardiologists couldn't interpret a pericarde correctly. <laughs> so so uh, yeah. So like uh, yeah. Anyway, and if you don't can't interpret the numbers then it's useless test. And then they did study there, so no no improvement in outcomes. Well, yeah, if you don't know how to interpret the tests, you're not gonna be able to improve outcomes. Now we talked about this earlier. Which, so one of these hemodynamic parameters has a correlate in the blood pressure. We talked about this. Which one is it? So one of them, CVP, cardiac index, or SVR, has a correlate in the blood pressure number. So which one? One in three chance. You have one in three chance of being correct. It was SVR. Or SVR which number in the in the blood pressure does it correlate to so. the diastolic blood pressure exactly exactly so so in a high svr state which is three of the four you are going to have a narrow pulse pressure 68 over 52 75 over 61 101 over 82 Something like that. Very narrow blood pulse pressure. That tells you that you have very, very high SVR. That the systemic circulation is completely clamped down to, to, to try to shunt blood away from the splenic circulation, away from the kidneys, away from the skin, away from the bowel, away from everything, to preserve heart to the to the heart and lungs. Okay, that's why they're mottled and cold, and that's why they that's why they're they're going to kidney failure, right? Because everything else is being sacrificed. To preserve perfusion to the heart and the brain, right? The only one again that where you'll have a wide pulse pressure is SVR. distributive shock. So somebody comes in again. If they're septic, you're going to see. Remember, remember, uh, remember that patient. There's like 114 over 40. Uh, now, if you have aortic re- re- aortic insufficiency, you'll also have a wide pulse pressure, but that's a separate. In, in in distributive shock, somebody with Right after heart surgery, you'll find them to have a very low diastolic pressure. Septic shock, you'll have a very low diastolic pressure. Um, uh, what was I going to say? Um, anaphylaxis, you'll have a very low diastolic pressure. So just without even knowing anything about the history, anything, all you got to do is look at the blood pressure, and it'll give you a clue as what's happening. And then you'll look brilliant. You walk into their infection? They do, doctor. How did you know that? And you just, you just... You just don't, don't say we learned about shock. Just be quiet and bask in the glow of your brilliance. But to me, you're not brilliant because we just talked about that. <laughs> okay? So um, that's the key. That's the key. The key is to look at the, uh, that's going to really help you, especially when you don't know anything about the patient. You're walking in and they tell you, Doc, we're called the rapid response because the blood pressure is 60 over 30, 60 over 20 that'll tell me that, oh, maybe this person's septic, as opposed to 60 over 48, or 60 over 50, right? And and if you have a low blood pressure with a normal MAP, that tells me that they're intravascular, that they have a a high SVR. You know, 70 systolic, but the MAP is 61. That tells me that they are intravascular volume depleted, or they have a high SVR. And you treat it you treat, you treat accordingly. If they're intravascular lung depleted, you give them volume. If they're bleeding, you give them blood. A lot of blood. If they're actively bleeding. It's, it's amazing what, 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 what how you can save somebody if you treat an actively bleeding patient with blood. And stop the bleeding. You know, it seems like, yeah, obvious, but you know when you have somebody in hemorrhagic shock and, you know, they're giving one, two units of blood, that's not enough. No, no. Patient has to you have to you have to adequately resuscitate them when they come in, you know, sick and they haven't been eating for three days and they're in diarrhea for five days because they're C. diff, and you give them a cup of coffee they're not going to respond to that, they're not going to respond to the two hundred fifty cc bolus, they're not. It's a, it's a, it's a cup of coffee that you're giving over an hour you're sipping over an hour that's not going to help them, you're not helping your patient that way. Okay, questions. Speaking about resuscitation, what are your endpoints of resuscitation? We resuscitate to a target. It depends. There is uh, there is there there is goal directed therapy. I think I'm trying to, and sometimes I'm trying to stop them from being hypotensive. That's my target, right? I don't necessarily target to a, a specific cardiac index or specific CVP. We're stopping them from becoming hypotensive as soon as possible. Now, if that means that you're resuscitating and doing vasopressors at the same time, that's a great question. um, If you're resuscitating to, if you need pressors and volume at the same time, do it. You wanna minimize the time that they're hypotensive, but do not sacrifice because with norepinephrine, I can make the number look amazing, okay? I haven't treated the patient. Someone's tachycardic because they're starting to bleed occultly, okay? I can give them low pressure and the number looks fantastic. I'm not I'm not treating the patient. Treat the patient, don't treat the number. Treat the patient. It's one of my rules. Treat the patient, don't treat the number. Okay? I had a guy we were transferring f- out for ECMO for on COVID and they kept calling me about the heart rate and I said, "I don't care about the heart rate." And they kept calling me and they kept calling me. So to to shut up the nurse, I said, "Literally, I said, give low pressure." And then they called me 5 minutes later, "Blood pressure is low." And I said, start level. Do you feel how stupid that is? Like, don't treat the number. I don't care that they're tachycardic. You know, that, uh, patients with, with DKA, they will be tachycardic all the time. For days on end. It is fine. When they come in, you better blast them with a lot of fluid because they are super dry. But once they've been, you give them six, seven liters, they're, they're out of DKA, they're better, they're still going to be tachycardic. It's okay. Okay? They're still good. If they're tachypnic when they come in, that's, that's good. You want them to be tachypnic. You don't want them to intubate them because if you do that in a DKA patient, you'll kill them. Because the compensation that they're, that they're relying on, you just get rid of by giving them propofol and, fent- uh, propofol and sucks, or tolerate and sucks. Now their pH, which was 0, 7.0, 0, <coughs> was now 6.6. 6. Mm-hmm. And they arrest because you did that to them because you don't understand the physiology of decay. Not you. Not you. Just in general. So, treat the patient. Um, the, the the target is to st- stop them being hypotensive and treating whatever it needs to be. And now sometimes you can't. Like sometimes distributive shock. We're fighting the inflammatory cascade. We're, we're not going to, we're just trying to minimize them from being hypotensive but sometimes it needs multiple vasopressors and sometimes it gets better sometimes it never gets better Um, if we have a septic patient and then they're not improving maybe we don't have source control right we have to have source control otherwise if you have an infected line you could do anything you want nothing will get better until the line comes out or an infected pacemaker lead or an empyema or uh, an abscess or whatever it needs control. So yeah, they 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 may they may never achieve the the target. So there there have been studies about goal directed therapy, and you want to target to a specific cardiac index. I just want them to stop being hypotensive. Are you looking for like typically we say map of sixty
1: five? Yeah, usually a yeah, map, map 60, of 60 uh, 65
0: right. the we're saying hypotension.
1: But
0: I think I kind of think of what we use in general nowadays is we're yeah. saying avoid or stop the hypotension, so it's trying to get at least a map that's known to be good perfusion. I agree. That's so a map of 60, happen. 65. So for, for sepsis, the, the studies say 65, which is why we use 65, right? Does that mean that 60 is worse than 65? No. Has it been ever studied? No. I feel like doing a study, to be honest, to compare a map of 65 to a map of 60 mm-hmm. and seeing if there's any difference in outcome. I bet you there's, there's not going to be. But at least a map of 60 is adequate. To get to a permissive hypotension, in a sense, right? It depends. So if somebody, so if somebody comes in when they're they're normally, doc, I'm I'm always a blood pressure of eighty. Yeah. Okay. You don't need them to be one hundred and twenty over. That might be hypertensive to them, or somebody that normally lives at one hundred and sixty all the time because they don't take their antihypertensive medications, and they come in with a blood pressure of ninety. That's low for them. Yeah, that that map of sixty-five may not actually perfuse their kidneys like they're they're used to. Exactly. Exactly. So you may need a high- it's so. I think it's important for us to kind of keep the patient in mind. Always keep treat the patient. Always keep the patient in mind. If somebody's asymptomatic, like literally asymptomatic, their blood pressure is eighty, but they are they're watching television. They're looking with the with the with the remote control. I don't panic. I'm like it's okay. They're eight completely now. Asymptomatic means asymptomatic means they, they get up and they're not they're not become syn- syncable. Right, so we don't do that all the time. We don't get them up, but if they're truly they're an eighty-five and they're asymptomatic, then, I, then you don't have to. They're on all, all the time to get to get the number better. Not always. There are a few numbers that you have to treat. Potassium at eight, you should always treat that. Okay, but but uh, but other numbers not necessarily. Think stop, don't panic, and think about what's going on, what's happening to the patient, and treat the patient. Not just necessarily number. No.